rising and ask you all to please do what I'm doing. At least put it on silent, please. Okay. So, also, uh, one more thing. New faces here. I just want to uh, just go through my format. My format is it makes it easier for everyone. Makes it easier for me to stay focused. Um, I run a monologue, and then after the monologue, we open up the questions. So if you do have questions, Valerie brought a pad and a pen. <laughs> okay. And then afterwards, we'll be open to the uh, questions and answers for as long as you want. Okay. Okay, guys. So today. Because we're coming straight out of two Torah portions of dreams. We're coming out of the Torah portion of dreams about Joseph's two dreams. We're talking about the other two dreams of Pharaoh. So, um, therefore, this month I wanted to dedicate this uh, Lunch and Learn series to dreams. What are they telling me? Subtitle, why don't they speak clearly? And next subtitle, how carefully should I be listening to them? So, those are the uh, subtitle and the title, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. I want to start with an introduction. And the introduction is called, Joseph, I am not. Please understand that I am not focusing here on interpreting individual dreams. There is actually an amazing piece of the Talmud, twice. I learned twice, there's two different places in the Talmud where it talks about details of dreams. Over there, it gets into very different situations, what certain things mean. But the most powerful verdict that the Talmud has on dreams, which is the ending story between two rabbis, and they found one of the interpreters who used to interpret dreams for these two rabbis, they found in his writings that the most fundamental rule of interpreting dreams is that the interpretation goes by the mouth. So it actually depends upon how you decide to interpret your dream. That's what the Talmud rules over there. Which is a reason why we have a very, very important custom. If you have a dream that is disturbing to you, you go over to someone and you tell that person the dream. That person responds three times, Chalma Tova Chazisa, which is Aramaic for a good dream you have seen. Because the Talmud rules that it goes by the verdict of the mouth, it's extremely important to have someone rule that this was a good dream. Even though they don't know how to interpret it as good, but the ruling needs to be there. Another ancient custom. In your Siddur, there is, I can just tell you in the Chabad Siddur, it's on page 352. On page 352, which is on the high on the holidays, the holy the Kohanim go up and do the Birchat Kohanim. Now there's different customs. There are certain Sephardic groups that do it every single day. Certain Sephardic groups in Israel only do it on Shabbat. The Ashkenazic traditional custom is that we do it on holidays. Now, on a holiday, when the Kohanim, the last three words, especially in Chabad, we sing it, ay, 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 there's something you do while we're singing. The last three words is a paragraph that you read on page 352. If you guys ever looked at that paragraph, it's amazing. It's all about dreams. And I don't know until this very day what the connection is specifically with the priestly blessings, but here is what's written in the holy books. If you have a dream that's disturbing you, you make your way to shul. When the chazan, you do not wait for the holidays. When the chazan, which always in his repetition of, a, of the Amidah, he does the blessings. On a fast day, we do it morning and evening and, uh, and afternoon. And in a, uh, on a regular day, you only do it in the morning. Because once people can drink, we don't do, you're not allowed to do any priestly things to, uh, under the influence. So we stay away from doing the priestly blessing. Now what happens is that when the Chazan repeats the priestly blessing, you immediately start racing through that prayer. And I use the word racing only because the name of the game is you try your best to make sure that you say the last word of that paragraph when the Chazan says the last word of the priestly blessing, which is Shalom, so that when everyone answers Amen to his blessing, it also goes on your prayer for the dreams. Okay? So I gave you two important customs. Number one, if you have a disturbing dream, tell it to someone, and that person has to answer you three times, a good dream you have seen. The second thing I shared with you is that you should make your way to shul, and when the chazan begins the priestly blessing, you immediately turn to page 352 if you're holding Chabad Siddur, and you read that paragraph and try to finish it together with his shalom. So everyone answers amen. The third thing is what's called tanit chalom. There's actually a fast that you fast if you have a disturbing dream. Now, that fast, by the way, is the only individual fast that you're allowed to do on Shabbat. 
because Shabbat is about onik, pleasure, and that fasting will give you comfort. That's the only fast you're allowed to do on Shabbat. Nevertheless, because our generation isn't of Samson the Mighty, what we do today is, what Muslim, many of us will do is, we'll transfer the dream into charity. What does that mean? Figure out how much money you spend on one day's full of meals. Give that money to charity in the place of fasting for that day. That's like the sacrifice, and that's what a fasting is all about. It's like bringing a sacrifice, just like the, fat, the fats of the animals placed on the altar. When you fast and you diminish your fats, that fats is considered like being placed on the altar. So what you do, if you don't have the strength, it's going to interfere with your prayers. It's going to interfere with the way you relate to your spouse and your kids. Don't fast. Change it for money, and this way you'll do the mitzvah. Okay? So that's what I wanted to share with you just about the simple individual dreams that any one of us may or may not have. What I came to share with you today is the world of dreams through the eyes of Jewish mysticism. That's what I'm here to talk to you about. So I'm not here to discuss personal dreams. If you want later, if you feel comfortable, you want to talk about dreams, we can all try to see what they mean, but that's not what I'm here to do today. I'm not playing Joseph. I'm here to take you into the world of dreams according to Jewish mysticism. With that being said, here's an interesting teaching in Chassidus. The Alter Rebbe, founder of Chabad Lubavitch, in the year 5562, which is 1801. 1801, he delivered a Hasidic discourse, and it's all about dreams. He's exploring the world of dreams. He says something over there, which the Rebbe later in 1964 begins to question and explore, because it seems to be a dichotomy with something else that's taught by our sages. So here we're going to go into this dichotomy. The Alter Rebbe writes that in his days, the scientists were of the opinion that dreams are the products of the imagination of your conscious mind. That's what he writes there. That was their format of thinking. By day you think, by night you dream. And you dream about what you thought in the daytime. That's the simple approach that scientists had in those times that he writes over there, that the philosophers, that's what they thought. But he asked a question. He asked a question that very often, or not so often, but people dream that which is unimaginable to them. It could not have come from the product of their imagination. They wake up and this was not, they've never had these thoughts. They never imagined such a thing could be. Things that just don't make sense. One of the famous dreams that I mentioned in the Talmud is a rabbi dreamt that an elephant the size of an elephant went through the eye of a needle the size of an eye of a needle. Now your mind can't imagine that. You either have to shrink the elephant or you have to enlarge the eye of the needle. So there are definitely dreams that comes from a place in the mind that's not your imagination of your conscious mind. Your conscious mind cannot deal with this. We're going to soon see how deep that sentence was. So on one hand, Alter Rebbe says, this can't be the product of your imagination because you definitely, people have dreams that their imagination didn't even go there ever. But there becomes a contradiction because the sages say that we do not show, meaning heaven. Heaven does not show in a dream to a person that which his heart hasn't thought. So now we have a dichotomy in the working. What is the situation here? On one hand, Alter Rebbe is saying clearly that there is dreams of that which is unimaginable and he brings it as a proof that it cannot be the product of the imagination. On the other hand, we have a clear verdict from our sages that we don't show a person in his dreams anything that he has never thought in his heart. What he didn't think in his heart. There's a dichotomy on the table and we need to know how to deal with this. And how do Jews deal with dichotomies? The answer is they're both right. Now we have to understand how they're both right. To understand that, we need to explore that there are two dimensions of dreams. Okay? Before we go there, I wanted to take you first to another place. We need to first understand what dreams are really all about. How do they exist in Jewish mysticism? What do they tell us? Okay? We're going to talk about the system of nature and the letters of creation. It's important for us to understand this, to understand what's going on here. Our sages say, and in this mystical teaching, he tells us, dreams are like miracles. What does that mean? What does it mean dreams are like miracles? To understand what it means that dreams are like miracles, we need to understand why is it that certain dreams are just incredulous. We just don't understand how that thought can ever be. We wake up like totally perplexed. Like, for example, an elephant walking through the eye of a needle. 
So to understand that, we need to understand the secret of creation. And then when we get from creation, we can get to miracles. When we talk about creation, we talk about nature. What is nature to us? So if you look in Genesis, Genesis teaches us the secret of creation. What's the secret of creation? There's one verse which is continuously repeated there. Actually, it's repeated nine times. And God said, let there be light. And God said, let the waters gather together. So the secret of creation lies in the words, and God said. Better yet, the secret of creation lies in words. God's utterances. Which tells us that everything that we know about creation, the laws of creation, the way they work with us, is what we call the system of the letters. There are letters that form logical words, that form logical verses, that form logical utterances, and that power of those utterances is creation, and that's what we call Mother Nature and all the laws of Mother Nature. So whenever we talk about something called Teva, nature, we need to refer to Genesis. If we could just understand the secrets of those letters and those words, if we would be able to understand what lies in the two words, which equals six letters, Yehi or, we would understand and be able to manipulate a creation called light. Because light is the process and all the laws of light, the warmth, the way it works, the expression, the essence of the light, the expression of the light, everything about light lies hidden in those two words, in those six letters, specifically set up the way they were set up, uttered by God. Yehi or, let there be light. So when we talk about the power of nature, we're talking about the normal power of the letters, the way we know them. Why are dreams like miracles? Because miracles is all about the reformation of the letters. Let me share with you a story in the Talmud. Talmud tells of a, of a great sage, a holy sage, that was widowed from his wife, and he was left with a, a young daughter. And one Friday, this girl comes running in hysterically crying to her father. What happened? It's about a minute left to Shabbat, and she, by mistake, for some reason, she poured vinegar into the Shabbos candles instead of oil. And now she's crying. There's no time left to change it. There will not be Shabbos candles in this house. The sage turned around to her. I don't know why my memory is saying Rabbi Yehuda, but I don't remember who was really him. And he turned around to her and he said as follows, Go light the candles. And he who commanded oil should burn in this house today will command vinegar to burn. She lit the candles and they lit. They burnt. The commentaries explain what was this? Magic voodoo, what's the Talmud telling us? What happens is that Rabbi that's I don't know if it's Rabbi Yudas, I don't want to quote the name. But this sage, whoever this sage was, because of his study of Torah, Torah is the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments start with Aleph. Genesis is the Ten Utterances. It starts with Bet. The power of the Torah, if you know how to learn Torah, and you know the secrets of the Torah, you have the power to reform the letters of creation, changing their properties. That is the Jewish perspective of all the miracles that took place through our sages. Our sages through the power of prayer and through the power of Torah, which is all through letters and words, they have the power to reform the letters of Genesis, changing properties for a specific cause, for a specific time, creating a miracle. And then the Talmud gives these sages the great ruling that you don't want to make God make a miracle for no reason. There's a price to pay for that. But now you understand when we talk about this rabbi as a miracle worker, and I'm not talking about your local, uh, you know, uh, rabbi that for the right, uh, you know, give him the right credit card number and he'll perform a miracle. I'm talking about the great old sages. Yeah, you know, I joke about the 900 number, the the psyche. This comedian says, I never get it. If he's a psyche, why do I have to tell my credit card number, right? <laughs> well, we're not talking about those type of people. We're talking about the real powerful sages of the past that we speak about, that they perform miracles. That's the secret of the miracle. Now let's go back to dreams. The power of dreams are the reformation of letters. 
And that's why you can have incredulous dreams. To understand this, we need to back up for a moment and tell you that there are two types of dreams, which is why the contradiction that I started this class with is going to be answered. There are two types of dreams. One type of dream is called prophecy. We're going to talk about why. Another type of dream is called tikkun. What kind of tikkun? Believe it or not, it says in the holy books, tikkun of the letters. Let's talk about that for a moment, okay? Before I say that, I want to just finish up one concept with a miracle. There is small, there is smallness of greatness, and there is greatness. When we talk about someone, you know what the Talmud says about miracles today? The Talmud asks a question, how come we don't see miracles today? How come, you know, we never watched rivers split for us to cross through and all that stuff? And the Talmud gives a very interesting answer. Miracles take place today. But Ein Balhanes Makir Miniso, the person to who the miracle is happening doesn't get to experience or know the miracle. The Talmud actually gives an example. The Talmud gives an example how they saw a certain person who was laying to sleep by a wall of an old wreck home, like an old uh, bandit. And the minute he got up and left from his nap, the wall came crashing down. And he never knew about it. He didn't hear the crashing or anything. That's called smallness, because you don't even get to see the miracle that takes place. And that's the, that's the pain of exile. We can sit and, say, and cry and scream at God, where are you when I need you? And not realizing that just in this day alone, four miracles happen to you. We just don't see it. That's called smallness. Then there's another definition of miracle, which is a smallness of greatness, which is, I see the miracle, I just don't understand it. I know something happened there. I know there's something big here. This is not normal. This is not just nature. I'm not going to write it off as coincidence, but I don't understand how it happened. That's called smallness of greatness. You see, you have greatness. You saw the miracle. You acknowledge the miracle. You have smallness. You don't understand what's going on. Then there's true greatness, which is not only when you know the miracle, you see the miracle, you understand the miracle. Let's talk about dreams. In dreams, you have the exact same concept. There are sometimes dreams you wake up and you don't even realize something was going on. There are sometimes dreams that you have a dream, you know that something's going on, but you don't know what is going on. That smallness of greatness. Then we talk about another level, which is prophecy, where not only you know that something's going on, you know what was going on. Okay? With that being said, with, with talking about the small and the big, I want to get into the lower level of the dreams for a moment. I told you there's two levels of dreams. I told you there's prophecy. By the way, you, you guys know the laws of prophecy. There's only one human being that ever lived that prophesies with a conscious mind. Every other prophet, even Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all experienced their prophecy in dreams. Right? You had it in Genesis, by Yachalom, and Hashem appeared to to Abraham, to, um, to uh, uh, Jacob, we just had it. He appeared to him right before he went up to Egypt. He appeared to him, the Chalom Halayla, the vision of the night. And he told him, don't be afraid to go down. You remember when God wanted to talk to Abraham and make that famous covenant with him? What does it say? And slumber fell upon Abraham. The only person who ever prophesied, received prophecy in conscious mind was Moses. And that's why the verse says, he's the only one that spoke to God face to face like a man to his friend. Everyone else is through dreams. So there's an interesting concept. Dreams are connected to prophecy. We'll talk about two levels of that prophecy. But first I want to take you to the more simple stuff. Tikkun. What is the tikkun of letters? Tikkun of letters is as follows. Everything we think, everything we say, happens through letters. Now there are forbidden letters. Forbidden letters will be anything of lustful thoughts, anger thoughts, jealousy thoughts, or how about thinking about work on Shabbat. Sage, you say, you're not allowed to do that. So here we have thoughts that are forbidden. The definition of forbidden thoughts is not what conventional wisdom says. It's got to be perverted. No. It's very simple. If these thoughts in any form or shape have crossed the line of the 365 prohibitions of the Torah or any of the rabbinical ordinances, it became forbidden letters. Those letters need to be pushed away they need to be nullified, and you need to expel them. Then there's another set of letters. The other set of letters is called mundane. What is the definition of mundane letters? The definition of mundane letters is what I'm thinking now is not a prohibition. There was no law that was transgressed, but there's another problem. 
It was selfish, egocentric. It was for my own purpose. So I'm having thoughts. They're not forbidden thoughts. They didn't cross any line of the 365 no-nos of the Torah or any prohibitions or ordinances of our sages. But they were selfish. So they're stuck with the egocentric fingerprints of a human being. Let me share with you something that doesn't come from this specific mimer that I'm focusing on. I learned another mimer once where the Rebbe said these words. The Rebbe, blessed memory, it's very powerful, these words. He writes like this, he says like this in the mimer. He says, even a righteous person is a creation. He's a human being. If he's a human being, he's a product of the process of creation. Once the soul comes down into the body, it is stuck, even in the holiest and purest and most translucent, transparent level, but it is stuck within the paradigm of a creation. And therefore, it must at some level have the DNA of a creation, which is egocentrism. And therefore, even, listen to this, even the holy words of Torah study and of prayers of a tzaddik need to go through the tikkun of dreams. sages teach us someone that doesn't have a dream for X amount of days is a very bad sign for him. Scientists say that everyone dreams. You just don't remember them. But our sages are very focused there. Dreams are a tikkun process. We need them. What we're here to explore right now is what is that tikkun process? What is that tikkun process? How does it take place? Why do dreams have that power? But I did just present to you that all three levels of letters need to go through tikkun. We're talking about the forbidden ones need to be crushed, the mundane ones need to be polished, and even the holy ones need your fingerprints off of them. For them to enter into the divine abode of absolute purity and selflessness, you can't have no fingerprints of egocentrism. That's what dreams do. That's what the job of dreams, that's why God created the system that we dream at night. It isn't just the brain overworking. There's a purpose for dreams, and that's what we're delving into here. And the first thing I'm sharing with you is tikkun of the letters. Okay? Let's go further. There's two levels of the tikkun of the letters. Let's first talk about dreams. How does the tikkun work? See how the tikkun works is it reforms the order of letters. Remember what I told you before about miracles? I told you that's what it shares in common with dreams and prophecy. That's what we're going to talk about now. What happens when you reform letters? See, what happens is the egocentric conscious human mind is the problem here. So even though for studying Torah, you must have an egocentric conscious mind. The person who walks into a Talmud class and says, no, it's not for me, I'm just too stupid. He will not be able to study. But when a guy rolls up his sleeves and says, wow, let's study this. That's egocentrism. But you need that to study Torah. The person who sees himself as a doorstep will get nowhere in life. So egocentrism in the good way, I'm not talking about narcissism, I'm not talking about where it goes to the ultimate degree of evil. I'm talking about in a healthy, normal level. You need that. So the egocentric mind, it needs to know that I am capable of understanding. And that's what empowers the mind to take on new horizons. But the problem is that the egocentric mind only works with a certain format. We're about to introduce linear and circular. The power of creation, I told you, is linear. It's a system. We understand it. We study it. It's so perfect that it even gave birth to something called atheism. Because that's how perfect this system works. We can explain it. That's linear. There's a top, there's a bottom, there's a system, there's an order. We know how it has to work. Even in the world of the linear, the beauty of riddles is that I set up my words to be elusive rather than explanatory. I don't want you to know the answer. I'm creating a riddle. And then it goes on to abstract poetry, whatever you want to talk about. But even in the linear, you can set up the letters where one mind can understand it. The other minds are a little confused, but they know that if this guy wrote this piece, he must be saying something deep. And we try to decipher it. But all the power of the conscious mind 
has to work in a linear fashion. You need to know grammar. You need to know how to line up your words. You need to know what constitutes a sentence. If you put the sentence in the wrong way, you put the comma in the wrong place, you've totally misconstrued the entire process of what you're trying to say. All of a sudden, I'm hearing something else, or maybe even quite contrary to what you're trying to say. So the conscious mind needs to work in a systematic way. Letters need to be used, they need to be set up, they need to be formed in the right way. The power of dreams is that it enters into another dimension of formation of letters. It changes the formation of the letters. For example, let's go back to that dream. The formation of the conscious mind knows, humongous elephant, eye of a needle, it doesn't work. And if I want to create an artistic moment of an elephant walking through a needle, I have no choice but to shrink the elephant or enlarge the eye of the needle. Imagine what happened to that person who dreamt the elephant walking through the eye of the needle. He didn't wake up with an epiphany. Ah, now I know. What kind of epiphany can you have from that? Your conscious, normal mind cannot learn anything from that abstract vision. So what happens here is that the mere fact that dreams work on a different dimension of letters, which doesn't make sense to the egocentric conscious mind, do you understand what dreams are doing now? They're breaking loose of the egocentrism of the human mind. And as the dreams do that, they're breaking free from your egocentrism, which normally controls and holds on tight to your power of thoughts. All of a sudden, what we're having is that the egocentrism has to bow out. Guys, let's talk about Pharaoh. According to some opinions, it's the exact same Pharaoh. According to other opinions, it's at least the same Pharaoh dynasty. Pharaoh told Moses these words, Who is God that I should listen to him? Right? That's an arrogant young man. According to our sages, he was a very arrogant, short young man. <laughs> now, Napoleon, right? The Napoleon complex. What happens here? What happens over here is that all of a sudden he has two dreams and he's experiencing the smallness of greatness. I know that there's a message here. This is just really weird. Seven fat cows, seven skinny cows, they eat him, they don't gain a pound. Every woman's dream, right? Then you have the seven fat stalks, the seven skinny stalks, the same thing happens. He wakes up and the verse says, Behold, here is a dream. He was conscious, something's going on here. Imagine how he felt. The great arrogant Pharaoh is bothered. How can I, the genius, ruler of the world, I don't get it. I don't get it. This was my dream. I produced this dream. I don't get it. He goes to his advisors, he goes to his stargazers, they start telling them stories. You can have seven daughters, seven daughters are going to die, the fat cows, the skinny cows, the whole spiel. It doesn't feel right. You follow how a dream can break loose from the fingerprints of conscious human egocentrism? <laughs> Unfortunately, sometimes these dreams so realign the formation of letters that they create what we call nightmares. We wake up in a cold sweat. And the more incredulous the dream, the more we go crazy. You understand now what tikkun of the letters is? Tikkun of the letters is when I introduce to you something that you can't arrogantly grasp. That morning feeling of what just happened. We call that in the world of Hasidus and Kabbalah, bitu, nullification. That's what refinement is all about. The more transparent you become, the more humble you are to understand that there's a higher dimension. I'm not in control. My job is to actualize what comes from above. Creation doesn't create ex nihilo, something from nothing. Creation creates something from something. It's my job to take what God has given me and work it out. So the more we have this process of incredulous dreams, 
the more we're leaving go of the egocentric hold of the human mind. Because the human mind is an amazing gift from God. It's what allows us to grab things and make it mine. In the real world, ownership isn't that I'm a bully and I have it. In the real world, ownership is that I totally understand the definition of an ultimate love relationship is that I know her through and through. I can finish her sentence before she says it. So real ownership is in the mind. And that's why the greatest power of the human, which works hand in hand with the greatest power of our egocentrism, <coughs> is the mind. So even when we use our mind for good things, how much less so when we talk about mundane things, how much less so by forbidden things, we have an issue here. The letters of the mind have been dumped in filth. Or at best, holy egocentrism, but egocentrism nevertheless. Remember the rule. God said, I and he will not dwell together. It's either I or he. Either he understands that he is a manifestation, reflection, expression of me, or we won't be together. Dreams is tikkun haotiot. Remember these words from today's lecture. Tikkun haotiot. The correction of letters. And that's why dreams don't make sense. And that's why dreams are left, are, are created to leave you with what just happened. That's what we said before is the smallness of greatness. I know something happened, but I don't get it. Smallness of greatness. I've identified something great is happening there. There's something beyond the normal capacity of the linear thought process of the human mind. But yet, I don't know what it is. Smallness of greatness. That's the lower level of the tikkun. Let's talk about the higher level of the tikkun. Okay? The higher level of the tikkun is... Gotta go back to what we spoke earlier. Remember we spoke earlier about prophecy? Remember we spoke about dreams? The higher dimension of dreams is prophecy, right? The lower level of the dreams is the lower level of tikkun as we know it. So before I can share with you what the higher level of tikkun is, we gotta back up a moment. Let's go back to what we were talking about. Let's talk about... Why? Why do dreams have this power? The answer to that, I introduce you to two forms of light with which God created the world. When we talk about divine light, all over Kabbalah, <laughs> or in Sof, the infinite light, we're going to talk about two dimensions of the infinite light. One is linear, one is circular. You've heard me explain them to you before. The linear light starts and has a top and a bottom in orderly fashion. The circular light, the power of the circular light is that it, there is no order. That is why dreams have the power to reform words. That's why sages have the power through Torah and prayer to change the properties of, of nature. Because when you're in the circular world, things don't need to be lined up in a certain way. Let me tell you something more. The Talmud says that dreams have truth and falsehood. How can it coexist in the holy world? The answer is the circular. In a linear world, evil, falsehood, and truth cannot coexist. One has to be on top, and one has to be on bottom. In the circular world, you can have a dream with the deepest level of prophecy with a bunch of rubbish, all in the same dream. So much so that our sages say that there is no dream that doesn't have foolishness in it, even the greatest prophecies. The reason why this can coexist, truth and falsehood, which in spiritual worlds is opposites, is because we're dealing with the circular. Now that I share with you that the power of dreams versus the power of conscious thought is the power of the linear versus the power of the circular. And that's why the circular is what prophecy is all about, introducing the circular infinite light into the finite mind, we're talking about dreams, introducing the circular into the finite, changing, breaking loose the linear letters from the egocentric hold on them. And that's what miracles are all about. Changing the format of the letters of the Ten Utterances through the Ten Commandments of the Torah, and now we can perform miracles. That can only happen because we're dealing with the circular versus the linear. 
Now I need to share with you two dimensions of the circular. It's not going to be too much longer, guys. Two dimensions of the, of the circular. In the world of Kabbalah, the circular is the crown. It's above your head. The linear begins with your crown, with your head. The linear breaks into right, left, and center. Right, the power of art, the power of analytical, and then there's the center, which brings them together. You have right, left, center, always. The power of the circular is the crown. Now in Kabbalah, we talk about two sides of the crown. There's the inside of the crown, which touches your head. There's the outside of the crown, which is far greater than your head. In other places in Kabbalah, we talk about the difference of two circular powers. Linear is food, you digest it. Circular is clothing. The greatest circular is the house. You know the difference between clothing and a house? Clothing need to fit you. A house, you can have a midget living in a gigantic palace. What does that mean to us? What that means to us is, in the lower level of the circular light, the light has to manifest itself within the linear letters. That's why prophets, we have a very interesting rule in prophets, no two prophets will ever prophesize in the same format. It's a law. Why? If it's the circular light of God, then they're all saying the same thing. The answer is because in normal prophecy, the circular light is the inner circular light, or what we would call outer circular light, which touches the linear, so the prophet has his way of talking. Like every artist has his way of expression. You can actually tell a painting before you even see the name because you know this style. Prophets have style. Style is part of linear, not circular. Circular doesn't have style. Circular has elephants walking through eyes of needles. Style is the linear. The power of most, most prophecies, most experiences is that the circular touches the linear, could be absorbed by the linear, and it helps you grow. So I have an incredulous dream, but it makes sense that I should have such a dream. I mean, how many times, Rami, did you ever someone tell you a dream, and you would tell them, huh, that's so like you to have that type of dream. It's just so like you. Because what happens is, prophecy, the lower level, works with format. So if the circular fits into the linear, then my style is going to be all over my prophecy. My dreams are going to be so telling of who I am. Let's go to the higher level. <laughs> the higher level is the external circular, which has zero, zero limitations of the linear. It doesn't touch the linear. It's the difference between clothes and a house. Clothes have to fit you. They have to be your size. A house can be gigantic. Enjoy. And what happens here is that in the ultimate expression, let's go back to the original question I asked you, the contradiction. When the Talmud says that you cannot dream other than what you already imagined, you now understand why. Because the lower level of the circular has to fit into the linear, and that's your style. So even if God's going to talk to you, He's going to talk to you in your style. By the way, let me just put a little note here. Did you notice that Joseph dreamt about stalks and stars? You notice that Pharaoh dreamt only about terrestrial beings, fat cows and stalks? You understand how prophecy works with style? Pharaoh had zero relationship to celestial beings. To him it was all about work and food. Cows and stalks. Joseph had his style. Joseph is dreaming of stars. Joseph is a celestial mind. And therefore he's dreaming of stalks down here. He understands physical implication of celestial concepts, but he's dreaming of celestial concepts. So the inner, the lower level of the circle touches the line. It's your clothing. It's your style. It's got to fit. The outer circle of the circular line has zero to deal with the linear. It's like marching right in, I'm here. Wait one second, you can't fit. Don't worry about it. It's going to happen. An elephant through the eye of a needle. That dream was not the circular trying to make sense. It's just knocking on your door. Hi, guys, I'm here. Move over. That's what the Altareb is talking about when he says that you can dream that which you've never imagined because it isn't working with your linear. It's introducing you to a circular that really doesn't deal with your linear. It's like the essence of your soul, which doesn't make a difference if it makes sense or not. How many times have we seen Jews do something so out of the box? They made it to the top and also made a U-turn. That's it, self-sacrifice. How, what, when, where? Because all of a sudden, something just flares up. You have non-religious Jews that all of a sudden comes to a certain point where there's no way. I'll die before I do that. Why? Because I'm Jewish. You're Jewish. 
Don't you remember you ate with me at McDonald's and Yom Kippur? Yeah, that's cool. But I'm Jewish. That I won't be doing. Because all of a sudden, this, the most powerful level of your circular life just shines out. It doesn't need to make sense. It can't make sense. That is the deepest dimension of a prophecy within a dream. It doesn't try to fit into your box. It's allowing your box to be part of it. And those are the incredulous dreams that have never even entered your imagination. Your conscious mind cannot fathom that such a thing could ever come out of you or ever come into you. Let's talk about the higher level of tikkun. Do you understand what kind of tikkun that does? Because the mere presence of the infinite circular light shining into your system, your entire system just got a major internal wash. It's not like your normal dreams where you're feeling pain. I'm feeling humbled. I don't get it. I'm ripping the hair out of my head. I've had the dream three times. It's telling me something. I need to know what it's saying. That's not that painful process which ripping the letters out of your conscious egocentrism. No, you don't get it. And it's true. Deal with it. Here we're talking about a different dimension. Here we're talking about such an amazing influx of light that all of a sudden the whole system gets cleaned up. You just wake up feeling light. You wake up smiling. You wake up like, wow. I don't know how. I just feel, you know those words, touched by an angel? I don't know. I just, something happened here doesn't make sense I haven't worked on myself anything special yesterday I haven't done any holy stuff more special but something happened last night I was just touched that is the deepest dimension of a dream so let's cap it up recap and then let's go to what this means to us practically number one I introduced the lower level of tikkun through dreams which has to do tikkun on forbidden letters mundane letters, and even holy letters that has fingerprints on them. That happens by the dream introducing a different level of formation of light, of letters, that your conscious mind cannot arrogantly say, I got it, it's mine. I don't get it, and it's here. What do I do with this? That's the lower level of tikkun. Sometimes mm. that can be painful. Painful in the sense of you wake up in a sweat, this is a nightmare, I do not know what's going on. Then there's a second level. We spoke about the second level divides into two levels. We talk about the lower circular, we talk about the highest circular, the power of prophecy. One power of prophecy, the prophet has his style. How can it be style? If it's prophecy, it's God, it's not style. I don't care how you write, just tell them what I say. And the answer is because if the lower level of the circular fits into the linear, you're gonna talk the way you talk. Then there's the highest level of dreams as prophecy where the circular light just shines in totally irrelevant of the letters of your linear mind your conscious mind and it just shines and that just is an amazing inside outside shower infinite circular light just went shined and washed right through your system and you're just different now it comes the major part of this lecture because Kabbalah is not meant to uh, get high other ways to do that. Kabbalah is meant to help you be a better person. So the question here is, what does this mean to me? King David, we say it on Shabbat before we do the benching. Remember what you say there? That when Mashiach comes, we will say, "As Exile is a dream. It's not a reality. It's not normal. What did I tell you about dreams? I told you that dreams, because they're circular, that's why you can have falsehood and truths coexist. Let me tell you the amazing gift of exile. I'm using those words. The amazing gift of exile. You know what it is? Teshuvah. In a linear world, from doing the no-no to getting back to where you belong is a long, difficult process. The gift of exile is that we're in a dream. In a moment, you can go from the worst to the best. Because in the circular, they coexist, they're neighbors, you can make it happen. That is the greatest, the greatest gift 
of Galut. And that's why when the curtains rise and, verbally speaking, you get caught with your pants down, you got a problem. Because now we're dealing with the linear. Have you ever noticed that Teshuvah can only happen when you're alive? The minute a person dies, we need his children to be doing things for him. Because once your soul leaves his body, it's no more in the dream, it's in the linear, you are what you are. And it's a long journey to get to maybe where you want to be. But when this world, which is a circular world, which is a dream, which can sometimes be a nightmare, but in a moment, you can make the switch. That's the gift the dream gives you. The coexistence of opposites, the coexistence of truth and falsehood. That is the more pleasant lesson of a dream. You can do teshuva in a heartbeat. But then there's another more painful lesson. Guys, you ever go into shul and daven, and you really daven, you feel it. You're loving Hashem, you're really loving God. And unbelievable, you walked out, and right by came prancing something less than modest, and you can't believe that that's me. That me in shul, I, I can't believe what's going on right now. My hormones are raging. How does that happen? If you're a holy man, you're a holy man. If you're not a holy man, you're not a holy man. So if you're a holy man, you get to pray, and you don't get bent out of shape by every little thing. If you're not a holy man, then how did you feel that when you were davening? Welcome to the world of dreams. This is the message. Don't ever allow your Yitzhahara to convince you that you're a hypocrite. It's interesting. I've never found a person who told me that, you know what, I'm going to put on film and keep kosher and everything because I can't be a hypocrite. I have so many people who told me, I can't put on film, I don't keep kosher. Hypocrisy only works one way, suffering. But why? Because hypocrisy is the gift of Galut. It's the gift of Galut. I can learn Torah and still not be kosher. And eventually, what happens then? <laughs> so you remember what I told you? That the power of cleansing in the highest level is that the circular light does its magic without you even knowing it. So when you learn Torah, even if you're not yet the best person that you should be, the circular light is doing its magic. <coughs> It's cleansing your system. And suddenly you start feeling, and this happens all the time, suddenly you start feeling that, you know what, I'm not going to do that no more. What happened to you? You got bent out of shape over here? Were you getting religious on me? No, no, I, I, I don't know. I just, I just don't want to do that no more. So the power of Galut, which is a dream, allows two things. It allows me to jump from there to here in a heartbeat. That doesn't happen in a normal world. The second power of Galut is that even if I just davened and learned and really cared for a person, I really did the right thing, and two minutes later I feel like an animal in heat. That's normal. That's the power of a dream. In a circular world, you can have truth and falsehood like this. But, what, but I can't take it no more. I feel like I'm splitting, split personality, right? The, the famous Jewish sickness. And the answer is no. Just hold on. Because the truth of the dream is the infinite circular light which is doing its magic. It's shining on you. It's washing you from the inside out. Just hold on. You did something wrong? Don't worry. Go back to a shiur. Pray. Do a favor to another person. Do a mitzvah. And the light does its magic. And that's just in closing what the process of dreams mean to you and me when we want to serve God and become a better person. A Teshuvah is right next door. Don't tell me that you did the worst thing in the world. In the world of dreams, they coexist. They're neighbors. Number two, even if you feel like a hypocrite, don't worry. Hang on. The circular light is doing its job. You'll feel it eventually. That's it for today, guys. Thanks. You know, I had a dream a few nights ago. It's right there. That's what I dreamt. This black horse is down there. Um, you don't go into the do you go into the interpretation of those things? No, that we have a separate fee in private sessions. <laughs> 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 Is that ironic or what? That was very But guys, really, if you want to talk and discuss that, uh, remember, I tell everyone that comes to my classes, your class starts when my class ends, because I prepared this. You guys didn't know what to prepare for. So the class becomes real for you now when you start working it over. So if you want to talk, ask questions, argue, tell me I'm ridiculous, it's great. When is that? When can we do that? Right now. Oh. Wait, but I had a comment. Go ahead. So 
talk about the linear and the circular and the subconscious and the conscious when it comes to dreams. Oh, what, do you, what do you think about lucid dreams? Do you think that's possible, controlling your own dreams, being conscious as you're dreaming and be able to actually control the dream? I can tell you clearly it works from personal experience. And I've been told to do this. Because remember I told you that the lower level of the circular light goes hand in hand with your linear and therefore you can actually have that you're, you're dreaming only what you thought about by day. You can. You can go into deep thought process and there's a very high chance that in your sleep that topic, like it, that topic will come up. So it becomes conscious. Yeah, because you're dealing with the circular. What you're experiencing in your dream is not the same experience you were thinking about. Let me ask you a question. You're, you're a lawyer. You probably did your hours in the work. Have you ever gone to sleep cramming for a test, really studying hard, and you don't feel that you really got it, and somehow when you wake up in the morning, it just sunk in? It's happened to me all the well, time. That's why I used to study when I went to bed. What happened? So the I scientists will tell you that, well, before you were tired, and now you're not tired, so you're just getting it better. But the truth is that you know sometimes that's not it. You weren't so exhausted. Your mind was working perfect. What happened when you when you fell asleep? You understand now what happened? Things take a whole new internal dimension when the circular is introduced. So when you're awake, you are dealing with your linear. It has its problems with understanding things. It's not matching my flow. I fall asleep, I go into a circular, the flow isn't so tightly controlling, I wake up, it just makes sense. I can't tell you a single fact that I didn't know before, but now I can tell you it, I get it. So absolutely yes, absolutely yes. And just I want you to know, the first thing I tell people when they ask me about dreams, I ask them what they ate last night. Because let's not be stupid, you know, let, let's be physical. Let's not, I had a rabbi who actually, his son taught me this. He told me that whenever someone in the family started getting cranky, and they're getting all messed up, he would just ask them one question, is the red light on? I said, what's the red light? He said, you know in the cars, that's the gas tank, they have a red light, you know, I told you no oil. Before you start getting all emotional and telling me that there's internal issues here, let me just ask you the question. Did you sleep? Did you eat? Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, that's simple. So the first thing when you talk about dreams, tell me what you've been worrying about yesterday. Tell me what you ate. Tell me what you've experienced. Let's first talk that. Don't start telling me yet that God's talking to you. You know, people get put away in white jackets for that. Then there's the rest of the stuff. Then there's getting beyond that. There's both sides. Okay, guys? Thank you. Thank you, guys.